Glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 22. A couple of things before we jump in. We have some celebrities among us. Jason and Felicia Winkle, stand up. You're not even going to stand. They can't see you. Stand up. Introduce. She wasn't with you last time you were here. <laughs> That's good. Jason and Felicia uh, are missionaries in China, and they're four kids now. They have Hannah Grace, who's going into eighth grade, Hudson going into sixth, and Micah going into fourth. Uh, so they're all back for six months, and we'll get to hear from them here in a couple of weeks. They'll be around for six months. They were the first missionaries that we sent as a church. Uh, they came and helped us get started. If you like the woodwork, Jason sanded all these beams. If you think it's hot in here, Jason did a lot of work on the air conditioner. So you can either thank him or not, depending on your opinion of his craftsmanship. But they've been in China for uh, four years? Six years. Time flies. Six years. And they're back here for probably six months, and then they'll most likely be going back. So uh, connect with them. Love on them. Church has changed a lot since they left, so, but they're, they're family for us. And so please make a point to say hello to them. Um, and if you've got kids those age, you can introduce their kids to your kids and all of those kinds of things. So glad you guys are here with us. Uh, this week's been difficult uh, for many of us in this church, trying to walk through uh, with Ross and Leanna Harris, the death of their son Cooper. Many of you have asked, what's going on? What do we do? How do we respond? It's been Beautiful for me to see the body being the body, these spontaneous expressions of love and concern, none of which were coordinated through our church office. It's just great to see uh, people just responding to the leading of the Spirit to love people within our body. I talked with uh, Ross on Friday, and I talked with Leanna yesterday, and I'll share a little bit about where those, some of the things that they shared, just so you'll know how to pray. Grady, if you'll show that. So these are the prayer points uh, just so you can know how to pray for them. That's the most important thing that they need right now. They're looking to be reunited quickly, um, each of them as they're separated to grieve well. We want Ross to be protected uh, while he's uh, in jail and for Leanna to have peace about Ross uh, during that, about his situation. Uh, she, she needs to be able to focus and, and grieve and not be worried about him. If you get, as you're praying, if you're like, I don't really, this is so big and I don't even know how to pray, you can always pray God's character. You can never go wrong praying God's character. God is just. And so you can pray for justice in this situation. That all, everything that's true would come out and justice would be done. You can always pray for mercy because God is merciful. So God, have mercy on this family. You can pray those prayers with confidence. You don't have to be tentative or hesitant. God is a God of peace. And so you can pray for peace for this entire family as they're walking through this valley of the shadow of death. And you can pray that with confidence. Whether you know them, whether you know the circumstances, that's irrelevant. You know God, and you know his heart, and you know his character, and you know his desire is to interject his character into every situation. And so with confidence, you can pray for justice and mercy. You can pray for peace. You can pray for his presence. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us, that there's nowhere where we are where he is not. And so you can confidently pray God, I pray for your presence, that Ross would know your presence, and Leanna would know your presence. Whatever they're experiencing right now, I'm asking you to be present to them. You can't necessarily be present to them, 
but God can always be present to them. Those are things that you can pray confidently and boldly uh, without having to know a ton of details. Again, because you know God. And what we're wanting is for his character, for his activity to be manifested in all of this situation. Practically, dozens and dozens and dozens of you have said, what can we do? You can go to that youcaring.com and you can search Leanna's name, Leanna Harris, and a fund will come up. Uh, and my understanding is that money can be used for the memorial service, for, law, for legal um, bills, as well as for household ongoing expenses. This is the beginning of a long process for the Harris family. Marathon, not a sprint in every way, legally, it's slow, financially, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, they're going to need the body to be along with them for some time to come. And one of the tangible ways that you can express that is you can go to that fund and you can give. And again, my understanding is that money can be used for all of the needs that they have, not strictly uh, for the memorial service. So I'll keep you all posted as it's appropriate to do so. And my strongest encouragement to you all is just to continue to pray for them. Just pray those things, pray God's character, and look for opportunities to love them in ways that make sense uh, based on where they are. Um, I thought about Genesis 22 a lot this week. It doesn't necessarily seem like the most appropriate um, story uh, this week coming off uh, the, the events that we've all witnessed. But as I thought about it and I wavered back and forth, I decided I think it's probably the most important story uh, for us this week, the most appropriate thing for us to talk about. Uh, Abraham's very unique. Uh, the, the command, this test that God puts Abraham through, is it's once in history, never happened before, hasn't happened since, won't happen again. Abraham with his role as the father of faith, Isaac as this child of promise, all of that is very unique. And so there's not going to be a time where God asks any of you to sacrifice your kids. That goes against everything that we know about the character of God. It was a test. God never intended for Abraham to carry it through. He just wanted to see, would he? But again, so that, that these circumstances are unique to Abraham as the father of faith, though don't, those things don't necessarily concern us uh, directly. But what's underneath it concerns all of us. Abraham was put in a position where he had to say, how do I respond to God when he doesn't make sense? And for all of us, at some point, and I would say at multiple points along the way, that's going to be the question in front of you. How do I respond to God when he doesn't make sense? How do I trust God when, honestly, he doesn't seem very trustworthy in the moment? And that's the perspective I want us to take on this passage. So I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 1, and I'll read all the way through 19. Sometime later, sometime after the events of chapter 21, God tested Abraham. That idea of testing, we'll come back to that key concept. He said to Abraham, Here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. That's another big concept for us. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Again, the specifics of this passage are not unique. They're not repeatable. You don't need to worry that this is something that God is going to ask you to do. Underlying it, the idea of how do I trust God when he doesn't make sense, you absolutely are going to have to do that multiple points along the way. So just briefly on the specifics, uh, this is the most important event in the life of Abraham. It's interesting. We've waited 25 years for Abraham to have a son, Isaac. Last week, we read it, and it kind of goes across without any fanfare. It's 130 words, Abraham and Sarah had a son, they named Isaac, and they laughed when they had him. It seems like everything is pointing to the birth of Isaac, and it's anticlimactic when he's actually born. This story gets 517 words. It's much more significant. It's the climax of everything that happens for Abraham. You can see that towards the end where God reiterates his promise. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to take possession of all these other nations, and through you all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed. There's something very significant and very important going on here. You could say, I think with a fair degree of confidence, that the promises God made to Abraham hinge on Abraham's response in chapter 22. Because Abraham obeyed, therefore these promises are, uh, are coming to him and through him. If he had not, not so good for him or for us. Very important what is going on here. Yes, God commands you need to go do this, sacrifice your son. Abraham, like he always does, obeys quickly. He gets up early the next morning. Um, he binds Isaac. Some people wonder what does that look like, father, son. Most likely, Isaac was willing. Uh, if he was strong enough to carry the wood up the mountain, he's probably somewhere teenager, late teenager, maybe even early 20s. He absolutely could have taken a hundred and something year old man if he had to. So the fact that he was tied to an altar, meant he allowed Abraham to tie him to an altar, most likely so he wouldn't chicken out at the last moment, and also so Abraham would be confident that wherever the knife, that he could make the first strike count. He wanted it to be quick as possible. So that's most likely what's going on with the binding. In that last moment, God speaks to Abraham, says, don't do anything. There's a, a ram miraculously in the thicket. And from that, Abraham then offers that ram as a sacrifice. Um, the fear of God, that's what it says, now I know that you fear me. A huge concept in the Old Testament. Fear of God is reverence leading to trust, if you want to keep that in mind. The fear of God is, re- is at such a deep degree of reverence or awe towards God that it causes you to obey and to trust Him. So that's what God saw in Abraham in that moment. So for us, a couple of things walking away. One, 
this idea, Abraham was tested by God. A test is an opportunity for you or uh, to show what's in you. Like in school, when you're tested, it gives you a chance to show what you know. In sports, if there's those type of tests, it's a chance for you to show what you can do. This is what's going on with Abraham. It's a chance for him to show what's truly in his heart. And it actually mattered. It wasn't, God's not teasing Abraham. He's not asking him to jump through hoops. It actually matters. And if you're a Christian long, you may very well find yourself being tested by God. He may set up circumstances for you, just like he did for Abraham, to see what's going on internally with you. Now, also, if you're a Christian for long, one of the things you can count on is you'll experience tribulation. Tribulation and testing aren't necessarily the same thing. We experience both of them in similar ways. And our response to them is similar, so ultimately I don't know if it matters if you can put a label. Uh, Testing, it's good, something designed by God in order to uh, give us an opportunity to demonstrate what's inside of us. Uh, Tribulation, it's it's pressure, it's a squeezing from the outside. Often that God is not the source of that. It's either we live in a fallen world or we... The choices that we've made, often it's the choices other people make. We have an enemy who tries to steal and kill and destroy. Some combination of those factors combine to create this pressure in our life, this squeezing, and the result is what's in us comes out of us. When you're under pressure, the things that are truly in your heart, that's what's going to come out in your vocabulary, it's what's going to come out in your behavior, it's what's going to come out in your outlook. Not the same thing, but again, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference to us, because whether it's a trial, test, those are similar. Whether it's a tribulation or trouble, those things are the same. Same word, translated different. So test, trial, trouble, tribulation, our response is always the same. It's to embrace and to endure. That's what we do. So when there's a test or a trial, my job is to embrace it. It's a chance for me to show, hey, this is what's actually in me. It's kind of a prove-it thing. The things that I say... I believe the things that I say are true, this depth of relationship that I claim to have, here's a chance for me to show that it's real. Tribulation, trouble, whatever that looks like, or I'm being squeezed, I need to endure. That's what I do. I don't run, I don't bail, I don't whine and complain. I endure to the end. That's what both Jesus and Paul, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now there's a third category, and it's temptation. Nothing good comes from temptation. We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. God is not evil, he's not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt us to evil. A temptation is an enticement to wickedness. It's an enticement to sin. I embrace tests and trials, I endure tribulations, I run as fast as I can from temptation. There's nothing, nothing good is going to come from that. The best thing that comes from temptation is me not giving in, which is a negative. There's no, nothing positive is added to me in a temptation. And I can be confident that if I'm tempted towards sin, God's not in that at all. That's the enemy, it's my flesh, it's, it's not him, for sure. Now for us, oftentimes we flip it. We tend to dabble with temptation, because it's tempting. That's why it's a temptation. And we tend to kind of play around with it, see how close we can come without actually crossing the line, and we start kind of slicing things up so we can justify ourselves. How close can I get? How close can I get? This isn't really a sin. This is okay. Everybody's doing it. Whatever those things are. We we tend to embrace, play with temptation, and we tend to run away from tests, trials, and tribulations. Temptation, because it's appealing to us, tests, trials, and tribulations, not so much. These things are difficult. We tend to run away from those. 
These things are enticing. We tend to run towards them. We need to swap that out if we're going to go long with the Lord. There was a missionary to China. Her name was Jackie Pullinger. She said, I need people who have hard heart, who have hard feet and soft hearts. That's what I need. If you're going to be here, soft hearts, hard feet. Unfortunately, what I'm getting are soft feet and hard hearts. And that's kind of that whole temptation trial thing for us. We want to be people who can embrace and endure difficult circumstances, who don't run away when things get hard. And we want to be people who, when it comes to evil, we run away as quick as we can. We flee from all of those things because nothing good is going to come from them. So all of that, regardless of the source, all you need to know is, is this a temptation or not? If it's a temptation, you run away. If it's a test, if it's a trouble, if it's a tribulation, then that's a different category and you need to know, I've got to embrace this. And recognize that in the midst of whatever that circumstance is, there's some things that God wants to do. It may not make sense to you on the front end. It may not make sense to you when you're in the middle of it. But there's some things that God wants to do in the midst of that that we can see from Abraham's life. Very interesting to me. God says, now I know. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And right there, black and white, now I know. Now I know that Abraham fears the Lord. How does that work for a God who already knows everything? For some of us, we think, why is God making me experience this? Why is God making me go through this? Why doesn't God change these circumstances? He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows how I'm going to react. I don't obviously know everything that God knows. But one subset of his knowledge is he knows things that are going to happen because they actually happen. I went to the University of Georgia. God knew that before I made that decision when I was 18 years old. And the reason he knew that I would go to the University of Georgia is because I actually went to the University of Georgia. Does that make sense? Here, um, U.S. Ghana played on Monday. I DVR it. And then I get a little buzz on my phone. Clint Dempsey scores in the first minute. Ghana ties it up in the 82nd. U.S. goes ahead in the 86th on a header. So I know those things. So as I'm watching the game afterwards, I know Clint Dempsey's going to score in the first minute. Why? Because he actually scored in the first minute. I know Ghana's going to tie it up in the 82nd because they do. I know the U.S. is going to go ahead on a corner in the 86th because that's what actually happened. So for your life, if it helps you, God has the whole thing DVR'd. All of it for him. Birth to death, he's seen all of it. He's not bound by time the way we are. I experience, you experience reality sequentially. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, January, February, March, 2014, 2015, 2016. For God, he's the great I am. Everything to him is immediately present. He sees all of it. So that's what I mean by being DVR'd. He sees from your birth to your death and everything in between now. And so when he says about Abraham, now I know, it's because he sees Abraham making a choice to tie his son to an altar and pick up a knife. He learned something in that moment, even though I would say, yeah, he already knew he was going to do it. But the reason he knew he was already going to do it is because Abraham actually did it. If there's no test, there's no opportunity for God to see that. If there's no test, there's no opportunity for Abraham to demonstrate. If you're being tested or if you're tried, what I don't want you thinking is God is teasing me. God's being cruel. He's put me in a corner. He just wants, he's given me hoops to jump through. He wants me, it's not an obstacle course for you that God set up just to see how you'll perform. He truly, I feel like, I believe, 
in this moment. He's on the mountain and they're all going. The angels, they're like, what's he going to do? And then when he pulls the knife, like, yes! And for you, if you feel like you're being tested, or if you're in the midst of a tribulation, I want you to recognize they're all there. No pressure. But they're there and they're going, what's she going to do? What's he going to do? He wants to see what's in you. You've seen that old Gatorade commercial. You drink Gatorade and you sweat orange. God wants to know. What are you sweating? What's coming out when you're tested and when you're tried? And it's not, it's not a practice test. It's not a pretest. It's, it actually matters to him. Yes, he knew what Abraham was going to do. But the reason he knew it is because Abraham did it. And he knows what you're going to do. But the reason he knows it is because you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, then he doesn't know it. He knew you were going to marry Nancy because you married Nancy. If you didn't marry her, then he wouldn't know it because it didn't happen. It's not reality. And him knowing those things don't, doesn't mean he caused those things to happen. Abraham truly had a choice in the moment. What's he going to do? We've seen him blow it before. He's lied a couple of times when the pressure was on. They want to know, how's he going to respond? The most significant test of his life. He's shown a willingness to lie if it protects his own life. What's he going to do when it's his son on the line? Is he going to to trust God or is he going to try to figure a way out of it? And then he trusts. And I think they all go nuts because he did it. And the same thing is true for you. So if you're being tempted, I mean, if you're being tested, if you're being tried, what I want you to hear is it's not for nothing. It's an opportunity for you to demonstrate to God and everyone else, not to show off. It's a chance for you to demonstrate what's in your heart. It's a chance for you to sweat orange because you truly have this deep faith in Him. You'll learn, he will learn something about you. I know that's weird to say. God, learn, God who knows everything about you, learning something about you. But it's true. It's right there. He's going to learn something about you. You're going to learn something about yourself. Abraham, I don't know how old he was at that point. He had at least 50 years to go. He lived to be 175. And I guarantee that during those 50 years, there was, some, there was a spring in his step because in that moment of most intense testing, he knows, hey, my faith got me through. I trusted and it worked. God came through. I bet he didn't lie again the next time he was in a position to say, I need to lie and pretend Sarah's my sister and not my wife. I bet he wouldn't have done it because he saw, hey, God came through in this most crucial moment. He learned something about himself and he learned something about God. The Lord will provide. God gets a new name because of that. The old King James Version says Jehovah Jireh. That's where that comes from. The Lord will provide. Abraham learned something about God and so will you. In the midst of your test or your trial, your tribulation, there's something he wants to reveal to you about who he is, and you can't get it unless you embrace and unless you endure. So what do we do? How do we respond when God doesn't make sense to us? A couple of things that you can do. One is you can continue to trust. That's what you see in Abraham's life. Early the next morning, that's quick obedience. Very interesting. In chapter 18, when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what does Abraham do? Hold on, let's think about this. What if there's, he starts praying, interceding, negotiating with God. When God says, sacrifice your son, not a word. Somehow this 
command came to him in such a way that he knew it was not up for debate. And he got up early the next morning and began to obey. We see he says to the servants, when he leaves them at the bottom of the mountain, what does he say? We're going to go up. And what does he say? We're going to come back. Faith. He trusted that somehow he and Isaac were going to come back down. Hebrews 11.19 says that Abraham reckoned or believed in his heart that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So what Abraham is assuming, according to the writer of Hebrews, he's going to go up on this mountain, he's going to sacrifice his son, then God's going to raise him from the dead, and they're going to come back together. Because how else could God fulfill his promises through Isaac? He couldn't if he's dead. And so Abraham goes forward assuming, trusting, believing that God's going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's faith that you see in him. And for us, that's what God's looking for. I heard one guy, a guy say one time, he said, I'm not following you, we're just walking in the same direction. And for many of us, that's what our relationship with God looks like. We're not necessarily following Jesus, we just happen to be going in the same direction. What I want for my life and what he wants for my life are the same thing. And so we can track along. And I may appear to be following him, but I won't know for sure until he turns right. And I want to keep going straight. And in that moment, it becomes clear to me. Are we just going in the same direction? Or am I actually following you? That's what it looks like to trust Him when it doesn't make sense. Easy to trust God when everything He's doing is what you, is what you would do if you were Him. It's not trust. It's easy. Well, God, this is how I would respond if I were you, and that's what you see Him doing. Very different scenario when the way God is acting is not how you would have Him act. And it's not how you would act if you were him and you're not getting any explanations. In those moments, that's when it becomes difficult to trust and that's exactly what he wants to know. Are you going to trust my character even when you don't feel like you can trust my actions? Are you going to trust my character when you don't feel like I'm saying anything to you? I've gone radio silent. Will you trust my character? Will you trust my character when everything around you seems to be falling apart? Will you trust my character when you, in your mind, I met with a couple this week, desperate to have a baby. Makes no sense to me. They would be wonderful parents. And they came in and we talked about adoption versus IVF and what those things are. And this is what this girl says. She's crying and says, she says, is this Hagar for me? Is this me trying to take matters into my own hands? And I'm going, God, how, seriously, how hard is it? Get her pregnant. Open her womb. This is, do it. Why, she's agonizing over how to have a kid. How hard is it for, it can't be. You don't sweat. Nothing's hard for you. You've never broken a sweat in your life. Parting the Red Sea, easy. Creating the world, easy. Raising people from the dead, easy. You don't get tired. I don't get it at all. And she's agonizing over this thing. And so the question, she was here at nine. The question for her, she came forward was like, what does it look like for me to trust God when he makes no sense, when I know he could snap his fingers and I'd have a baby? And that, that is the question. That's what, when you're tested, when you're being tried, when you're undergoing some tribulation, can you trust him? When you're angry at Him, can you trust Him when He doesn't seem to be working? 
Can you trust Him when in your mind you know all you have to do is snap your fingers and it's fixed and He doesn't? Can you continue to trust Him? If you can't, bad news. That's what all of this is about. Because Abraham obeyed. There's a lot, no pressure. But there's, our, our choices have consequences. And God's looking. Let's see what's in there. Let me see what's really in there. And these tests, trials, tribulations are an opportunity to show that. So first thing, continue to trust. Second thing I would say, choose to worship. Job, he makes Abraham look like it's cakewalk for what Job experienced. You can read Job 1 and 2 and Job, I think it's 40, 41, 42. Read those chapters, you get the gist. In the middle, it's a whole bunch of griping. But you can read those chapters and get a feel for Job. Righteous man. He's so righteous, he has seven sons, three daughters. And when when his kids have a party, this is how righteous he is, he's so concerned they may do something that offends God, the next day he offers a sacrifice for every one of them, each one of those kids, just to make sure that everything's clean. That's how righteous he is. And one day Satan, roaming around, appears before God, and God says this, hopefully God will never say this about me, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, of course he's righteous. It's because he's rich. Anyone who's been given as much stuff as he's been given, of course they're going to be righteous. And and God says, well, see what you can do. You can't touch him, but you can touch his stuff. And if you read chapter 1, it's like a machine gun. A servant comes and says, all the cows are gone. and All the cows have been destroyed. And before he's gone, another servant comes. All the camels have been stolen. And before he's gone, another servant comes and says, all the sheep are gone. And before he's done, another servant comes and says, and your kids are gone. All ten of them are dead. So it's just boom, 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 boom. Everything he owns, all of his family except his wife, are destroyed. And what he says in verse 20, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. That's grief. And then he fell to the ground in worship. That's what he's looking for from us. Grief, that's, that's honest. Job was not happy. If you read that middle section of Job, it's full of complaining. He never sins. But he lets it be known. He's very, very upset at what's going on. And he wants to know why. God puts him in his place at the end. But he wants to know what's going on. What have I done to deserve this? Saying repeatedly, I didn't do anything to deserve this. So there's deep grief. And so for you, if you're test, trial, tribulation, be honest about what that is for you. You don't need to pretty it up for God. Rip your clothes and shave your head in private. Do those things if you need to. Express those deep emotions before Him. If you're angry at Him, then be angry. If you're frustrated, if you're confused, if you're disappointed, whatever that looks like, be those things. And then in the midst of those things, make a choice to worship. You don't have to feel anything. It's a recognition that God who is who He is, whether I can see it or not. God, I'm choosing to say You're good, even though nothing in my life indicates that right now. I know it's true, because You've revealed Yourself to be good, and so I'm going to say that about You. I'm going to say You're good, even though I don't feel it right now. I'm going to say that You're kind. I'm going to say You're merciful, and it's not just words. It's me choosing to, or, so what David talked about earlier, I'm going to choose to orient my life around the reality that God is who He says He is, even when I don't see it. That He's good, that He's righteous, that He's kind, that He's loving, that He's compassionate, that He's just, 
that he's always present, that he's omni, that he's all-powerful. I'm going to choose to orient my life around those things. That's what it looks like to worship. It's not about what songs you're singing, although that can be an expression. It's about orienting my life around him. At one point, Job's wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's what she says to him. And he says, it's not good to receive. He said, How, why should I receive good from God and not trouble? There's this deep sense of reverence in him that says, whatever God's sending my way, he's still God. He gets close to the line, but he never crosses it. And that's what he's looking for from us. And the last thing I would say, when it comes to dealing with people, when you're in these difficult circumstances, look for ways to love them. Jesus says, you love your neighbor. He says, you love yourself. He says, you love your enemy. That covers everybody. Everybody's one of those three. It's you, a neighbor, or an enemy. And what he says is love. That, again, has nothing to do with how you feel and everything to do with your attitude towards them. Are you looking to do what's best for somebody, regardless of cost to yourself? Oftentimes, we don't know what to do. What do we do in these circumstances, these situations that are so beyond us that we've never personally experienced? 2 Corinthians 1 says this. The God of the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So again, God who's the Father of compassion, He's the God of all comfort. He is the God who comforts us in all of our troubles. How come? So that we can then comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's the picture of what we're going for. It doesn't mean that you can only love people who you necessarily, who well, I've walked a mile in their shoes. That's irrelevant in a lot of ways. What matters is, have you received comfort from God from whatever trouble you experience? And if the answer is yes, then it's that comfort that you can then pass on to somebody else and whatever trouble they're experiencing, whether or not you've experienced it personally or not. The, the, the peace is not your experience. It's God. He's the one that brings comfort. And as a carrier of the Holy Spirit, you have the God of all comfort living within you. And so if you'll make yourself available, and that's all you have to do is show up, if you'll make yourself available, then God can love other people through you. And the things that He's put in you that you might not even know are there, He can use to encourage and comfort someone else. And so my continued encouragement to you, as you encounter people, and you will weekly, you'll encounter people who are up against it. And some of it's going to be their fault and some of it's going to be somebody else's fault and some of it's going to be the devil's fault and some of it's going to be nobody's fault and some of it may be God putting them through a test. That's irrelevant in a lot of ways. But as you're encountering people who are up against it, my encouragement to you, look for opportunities to love them and don't disqualify yourself because you feel like you don't have anything to give. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. What better thing can you give than Him? What better thing can you give than the God of all comfort who has comforted you and who will empower you to comfort other people? So if you find yourself this morning going, God, does not, he's not, it's not clear for me. It's muddy at best. Maybe he's gone silent in your life. Maybe there are just circumstances they don't make sense. Why won't it's me with this cup? Why can't you just fix this? Fix it. I'm not asking for you to solve, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian problem. I'm saying get this Christian couple pregnant. You may find yourself in one of those circumstances. Will you this morning choose to trust? And you've got to ask them what that looks like because I don't know. It's situation-specific. Will you continue 
to worship in spirit and in truth. And when you're encountering other people who are up against it, will you make a commitment to say, I'm going to love them. I'm going to look for a way to love them. I know what that is, but that's my commitment, is to try to do that. Let's pray.